And welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rocking good time talking about all your favorite movie soundtracks. My name is Joseph Wade. I'll be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight, as always, is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, what's shaking? <laughs> Not much. It's a kind of rainy day in upstate New York, as is sort of typical for mid-July. It's hot, then rainy, then hot, then rainy, and the cycle continues migraine-inducingly. How about you? Oh, absolutely. Same here. We're in the part of the year where, you know, the black wall cloud comes right at you at about eight o'clock in the evening, and uh, we're going to find out if if my house's electricity is going to hold out for the hour of this podcast. Ooh, fun. Yeah. So... So what are we talking about tonight, Joe? uh, Tonight, we're talking about the 1986 Jonathan Demme film, Something Wild. Oh, yes. This is our Ray Liotta tribute episode. Yeah, we we could have chosen a few things, but, you know, Goodfellas is a little basic, if I'm being honest. And Something Wild just seemed like a really fun one to do. Yeah, it keeps with our uh, Jonathan Demme uh, soundtrack trend that we've had. We did Married to the Mob a little while ago. I'm very disappointed that Matthew Modine was not nominated for an Emmy for Stranger Things seems rude yeah um but um and obviously we want to pay tribute to uh the late great ray liotta who we lost earlier this year way too way too soon and very suddenly yes absolutely. what what better way to celebrate him with his first uh feature film role yeah it it was surprising to know this is his first feature film because he he appears in this movie like halfway through kind of fully formed like his final ray liotta self the Ray Liotta that he will continue to be and it's interesting because in a lot of ways Ray Liotta is part of the genesis of this podcast somewhat yeah uh but please elaborate well um I wrote for you uh at something awful <gasps> oh that's right releases, and two weeks in a row you had me seeing films with Ray Liotta so I watched uh Sin City 2 which yep. was terrible, but he appears early on um, and tries to murder Juno Temple right. um, from the Emmy-winning and Emmy-nominated Ted Lasso. And then the following week, you sent me to watch The Identical, which ended up being the weirdest, dumbest, most hilariously inept movie I've ever seen. And I have treasured it forever. And you've lorded that information over me ever since. Yes, it's one of those movies that I make people watch because it's so bad. It's, I mean, it's not like Neil Breen bad, but it's really terrible. And he plays the father. And we didn't want to do that soundtrack because it sucks and didn't want to sort of make fun of him. But yeah, Ray Liotta is at the core of our friendship. It's... <laughs> You're you're absolutely right, and you know when when the Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie finally comes out on streaming, maybe then we'll do the identical just to fuck with people. <laughs> I guarantee it's better than the Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie. I guarantee mean, you, it's more entertaining. It's probably not a better film, but you will enjoy enjoy it more. 
And that'll be the third time I've written about the identical for you because I wrote for um for front row as well. That, yeah, that's right. The identical just kind of is is the lifeblood of of this uh, friendship in, yes, in a lot of ways. I, I just need people to know about it. <laughs> I've subjected you to it. You know, and even when you teed this up just now, I had completely blocked it out of my memory. No, it lives with me. It's on Tubi. Oh yeah, it's out there. Wow, and which was interesting because this movie was a little harder to find, and this yeah. isn't an unheard of film. But um, it wasn't on Amazon. I watched it on YouTube, and you watched it on what Apple Plus? You said A- Apple TV. Yeah, I had to rent it because you can't even rent it off of Amazon right now. Yeah, um, and, but it is in the Criterion Collection. Yeah, so you can go out and you can get the DVD of it. Um, I tried to track down the DVD at my local used bookstores to no avail whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, so I just had to bite the bullet, spend the four dollars, and rent it. And honestly, I did not regret that decision. It's a, no. this is a delightful movie. It really is, and it's it's very weird, and it, it's the kind of film that like only Jonathan Demi could make. Mm-hmm. You're just like, yeah, this tracks. All of this has Jonathan Demi, and there's going to be a lot of of comparisons to uh, Married to the Mob, which came out two years later. Yeah, and also we're gonna. I feel like we're gonna be talking a little bit about. Honestly, a lot about the Talking Heads tonight, too, because yeah. uh, not only do two of the Talking Heads appear on the soundtrack, but also, uh, you know, this kind of is, is a little bit of a road trip movie, not unlike true stories. Yeah, I, I'm very true. Yeah. So, um, well, yeah, well, let's let's get into it. Yeah. So f- first things first, though, uh, I do want to thank everybody who contributed to our Bob's Burgers discussion on yes. uh, uh, Twitter after that episode. We had a great time with that, sharing our favorite songs, and we hope you did as well. Mm-hmm. And also, I would like to point out, no billboarding school this week, because really? the soundtrack for this film, as far as I could tell, did not chart. That really surprises me, because it's it's got a soundtrack that I've seen like bits of on soundtrack compilations, whether it be like from Something Wild. Yeah, um, It's a soundtrack that I... I don't see frequently but have seen in record stores it's got big names on it obviously david byrne oingo boingo new order so it it has some some sizable like heft so i'm kind of i'm surprised at that yeah it's just well we'll get into it because there's something very odd going on with this soundtrack but uh as far as the film itself you know it was not that big of a hit I think it made $8 million on a $7 million budget. Mm-hmm. Um, the only note that I have as far as box office stuff goes is that the week that it opened, it opened in seventh place. Okay. What and, was in first place? Uh, Crocodile Dundee in its okay. seventh week. Oof. Okay. Yeah. It was Crocodile Dundee, The Color of Money, which we've done an episode <laughs> on, and uh, the, the regrettable uh, C. Thomas Howell Soul Man. Ooh. <laughs> oh, the shiver that just went through my body. Yep. <laughs> Yikes, Rama. <laughs> and then in seventh place, something wild. Okay. So okay. not a big hit, kind of a cult classic, I guess you'd call it now. But uh, this was actually one that I definitely recall seeing a lot on basic cable as a kid. Okay. Really? You know? Yeah. And I, I want to see, just like with Married to the Mob, this is not really a comedy, but it's still extremely funny. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all the, all the excuse that Comedy Central needed to air it like constantly back in the okay. day. And I know I definitely ran into it as a kid. And 
I think I I made it to you know the scene where she handcuffs Jeff Daniels to the bed, and you know I'm not I'm not yet of the age where I think that's interesting, so I just go okay, this is a mom and dad movie, and I shut it off. So for like twenty some years, I thought that was what the whole movie was about. <laughs> I'm sort of picturing child Joe, but I'm picturing Gene Belcher <laughs> just being like, ew, no clothes on anybody. Very much so, yes. <laughs> I was the same way, so. Like, what, what what was your, like, first exposure to something Honest, wild? Honestly, this. This was the first time I watched oh, it. Oh, man. Um, and I think, in part, in my head, because, like, you picture the cover with him sort of upside down and her laying there, I think, in my head, it got mixed up with Drop Dead Fred. That makes sense. I, I, I can see that. So, um... It was never one that I was exposed to, which is weird because I was a big Comedy Central kid. And obviously, I watched Married to the Mob on Comedy Central all the time. And, but I feel like if I had seen Ray Liotta as a young woman, like my whole trajectory of life would have changed. <laughs> I feel like I wasn't ready. I needed more like innocent and kind looking men like Bill Pullman or Matthew Modine. Uh, I don't think I could have handled like the intensity of Ray Liotta. I probably would have just exploded. <laughs> you were you were very still very much in like the Jeff Daniels kind of mode. Yeah, I guess it's weird though because like I was watching this, I'm like, this guy was in Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> That's true. He's so good in this, and so just like pure. And motherfucker was in Dumb and Dumber. It made and, me mad. And, you know, I'm sure that's why this was on Comedy Central back in the day, because, like, oh, we'll we'll put the Dumb and Dumber guy on TV. It's fine. Maybe. Yeah, this this seems like it would play, like, on USA. Yeah, this might have been, like, an up all night kind of thing, and that yeah. may be where I'm misremembering it, so who knows? Yeah, or Stars. Stars was, like, the Matthew Modine channel, where I watched Cutthroat Island all the time. Oh, yeah, the, 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 the real rich kids in our neighborhood had Stars. Well, I watched it during preview week. There you go. Get like the preview of stars for a week, the trial. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. Second. So you game the system. That's that's clever. Hell yeah, I game the system. Oh yeah. Uh so yeah, just just real quick, tell us a little bit about something wild. So it's a road trip movie where the very sort of yuppie Charles, Charlie, uh gets essentially kidnapped by uh Lulu, who's played by Melanie Griffith, which surprised me for some reason. Um, and he, they go on sort of a madcap adventure to her high school reunion. So it's sort of like true stories meets Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion meets, I don't know, because it gets really dark when, uh, her ex-husband, Ray, uh, shows up and wants to reconnect, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that was the point in the movie where I think it, it clicked for me like, oh, that's what this movie is about. Yeah, because remember, I still was, I still was on like weird, sexy road trip kind of movie. Like, oh yeah, no, cause... she's kidnapping him for a high school reunion. Okay. Yeah, and it, I mean, it goes in sort of almost like a manic pixie dream girl. Like, oh, she's gonna be cute and weird and quirky, and he's gonna lighten up and loosen up, and it kind of does that. Yes, but it's so much more than that. Like, yeah, it becomes a road trip, and then it becomes like a crime comedy. And then it just gets real dark right at the end. And then, like, everything's fine. Yeah. Like, a little bit of domestic it, drama right there at the end. And then... Yeah. Yeah. Shit gets intense. It's so intense. Like, it's extremely uncomfortable, the end of this yeah, movie. I know. 
So I love it. It's great. This <laughs> is a fantastic film. If oh, you yeah. haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in a while, please watch something wild. It's so good. Yeah. So jumping straight into the film, the very first thing we hear, very very first song we hear is the first song on our soundtrack. This is Loco de Amor by David Byrne and Celia Cruz. Yes. Let's go to a clip. All the people in the street Don't go I appreciate that, that Demi got David Byrne to take time out of his busy true story schedule to like produce <laughs> this utterly delightful opening song. Yes, it's really, really wonderful. Um, I've always loved David Byrne's commitment to world percussion, especially mm-hmm. because it really elevates him and the talking heads at this point above so much of the other pop music we were hearing on the landscape. And, and- that's that's not to diss you know new wave and and other genres that we were hearing uh especially things like college rock began to emerge but it creates such a vibrant sonic texture Mm -hmm. and you know when you're listening like okay this is this is david byrne like it has his craftsmanship on it um and I love, I mean, he brought in, like, the Celia Cruz. Right, yeah. And so there, it lends an air of authenticity to it, so that it's not just a white guy doing world percussion. Mm. And I really love that. He kind of incorporates Wild Thing in there um, to, uh, to lay that groundwork, because that song features very heavily, despite being involved in the soundtrack in the original. We'll get to Wild Thing later on. but Yeah, and I... I feel like at some point the movie itself was actually titled Wild Thing. That s- makes sense. Somebody along the way said, maybe let's change the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, because something wild does, it, it, it kind of pops more and has more evocative, like, oh, what's this movie going to be about? Yes. It's about something wild. But like w- this, the song takes us through, I'm guessing it's the Hudson River that they're, yes. that they're going down as they're showing us, you know, the, the New York City skyline. God, I love old New York movies. It's it's so, I mean, it's definitely like extra romantic for you because you 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 lived there for a time. But mm-hmm. like, it's there's something about '80s New York on film that is just like you, it's unmistakable. Yes, because it's so grimy, but it's so full of dreams. Like it's still New York City, right? And you see the grit there, and I love that. It's not you know like 1960s. New York, like we talked about with Down With Love, where they make sure to show, you know, show the UN building, even though it's completely on the opposite side of town from where they are. So you're like, yes, we're in New York. That's the UN building. Right. But here you're seeing like all the graffiti and the trash barges and like the little tiny rope, like one man rowboats. And these are like the the underbelly of the city that most road trips don't bother showing. Yes, this is the real New York and yeah. the authentic New York. And yeah, these are the real that, people living here. Yeah, and that, you know, sadly, I think a lot of it's been, you know, whitewashed and mm-hmm. and varnished. So seeing it always feels a little bit like, okay, that's my that's my New York. Right. So, and then we we meet our main character Charles Jeff Daniels in it's some kind of Jamaican diner, mm-hmm. which. 
is going to play a very important role in at least the the sonic landscape of the movie. Yes. Because a lot of the songs on this album are in or on the soundtrack rather are in one way or another kind of tinged with reggae and mm-hmm. Jamaican music and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, we talked about how David Byrne kind of incorporates, you know, some world music into his into his style at the time. You also get uh, it's kind of hard to there's no other way to say it. It's white artists taking reggae music and using it themselves. Yes. And, you know, we'll, we'll get to UB40 in good time. <laughs> but, yeah, this is where we meet um, Lulu, played by Melanie Griffith, and she immediately whisks him off to, he thinks she's taking him back to work after uh-huh. a little meet cute. And, no, she hits the highway, and <laughs> they're off on their adventure. Yes. Uh, she's... She's what would sort of become and be watered down to be, uh, as my arch nemesis Nathan Rabin called the manic pixie dream girl. Right. Um, but this film, as we're going to see, shows a little bit of a, of a reversal of that because she needs him to fulfill who she is mm-hmm. rather than simply existing to fulfill him. Right. Because when, when we meet her in this film, she is like completely decked out in sort of like afrocentric clothing yeah a lot of um a lot of jewelry Mm -hmm. um and i mean just a absolute ton of it she's very kooky and i like that because it's her neighborhood like she's got the flavor and the feel of her neighborhood and i think this soundtrack really carries that Mm -hmm. that she's you know she does live in this diverse and very funky community and is a part of it you know she's not out there necessarily trying to gentrify it you know they know her at this diner um she's you know kind of protective of it but also uh, yeah at the same time like we you find this out later about her she's I, I feel like she's wearing all this stuff because like it's the exact opposite of who she actually is deep down and she's trying to get as far away from that as possible i'm torn because i yeah it is it is unfortunate because yeah it's like who is she really? I like this version of her. It it feels more authentic, doesn't it? Yeah. Like this is who she really is deep down. But yeah. And then when it she is... gets back home and then the people who actually know her kind of inform Charles about like what kind of person she actually is. And she doesn't really doesn't really appreciate that too much. Yeah. So it's just it, it's a little bit of a bummer. It, yeah. In a way, whitewashing isn't the term for that, but it no. it makes her bland. It Mm -hmm. strips away all of her characters that she can just fit in with all the other yuppies. Like she's trying to be this funky artist in this great neighborhood and they just want her to be like another suburban dum-dum. Yeah. And she's rebelling against that as hard as she can. Yeah. And then she sees right through Charles's kind of exterior where she kind of, she points at him and says, Oh, you're the kind of guy who doesn't pay for lunch. You're like, you're a closet rebel. And as they're driving down the road, he's like, yeah, yeah, I am a closet rebel. Yeah. But so is she. Yeah. She's just a little more successful with it than he is. Yes. But she still goes back to her hometown and puts on the costume. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that, that everybody sees through right away. Oh yeah. But uh, so at, at a certain point, they stop at a liquor store because this movie is apparently sponsored by Seagram Seven, the only <laughs> liquor she drinks, and she drinks a lot of it, like to a, a sort of uncomfortable amount. You're just like, oh boy, yeah, it's it's drink a ton. some water. <laughs> like it's that iconic brown bottle with the seven on it, like it's unmistakable. 
Mm-hmm. But as she's walking to the liquor store, this group of dudes drives by her. Cat calls her from the car. And as they drive by, we hear the next song on our soundtrack, which is uh, Steve Jones's With You or Without You. All right. Let's go to a clip. With you or without you, I will care. is fascinating to me because it's a uh, former sex pistol steve jones yep yep and so he's got you know these big arena guitars he's a fabulous guitar player mm-hmm. but he's got these really subdued coffee house vocals it's like two different songs yeah it's it's like he's trying to be billy idol but he can't hit those high notes yeah so he's just settling for being like james blunt i, I guess oh man that's like he's that's, very that's... soft that's a little harsh. Like, yeah, it's a, it's just a little too mellow for a song from a former Sex Pistol. Yeah. And it's it's catchy. It's not especially hook-laden, especially given so much of the, the reggae and the dance hall and the new wave that we're going to hear later on. Um, so it could easily get lost in first listens. Like, are you going to listen to this? Or are you going to listen to Temptation? Like... You know, yeah exactly probably gonna it's... go with new order but yeah it it has a longevity to it and that when you listen to it later on and like those those next plays like you really do kind of feel it yeah and it's it, he he's got one of those guitar sounds that's kind of unmistakable like as soon as i heard mm-hmm. that i was like oh that's definitely a sex pistol oh yeah yeah like i you, you couldn't miss that anywhere mm-hmm and so I, I I appreciate that he's here, uh, but he's also kind of emblematic of the type of dude this movie's definitely not about. <laughs> and that's why they kind of get him kind of coming and going in you know the, the in in the radio of a car like mm-hmm. five seconds and we're out and and, and we see that a lot yeah in this film this film um uses music very quickly there are forty nine songs in this film yes there are ten on the soundtrack. Which is a little baffling. There's so much music, but you hear it in just these little tiny snapshots in diners, in cars. But to what end? Because if you can't catch enough of it, then why not just put a score there? If you're going to have four bars of a song. Right. And it's also there's so many in the film and so few on the soundtrack. It makes you wonder, like the ones they chose, why did they choose them? Yes. Especially when, you know, we're going to get, you know, three or four songs from the Feelies coming up soon. None of them are on the soundtrack. Yeah. And and, and they're, the we'll, band is actually in the film, so why wouldn't they be on the soundtrack? Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. We'll yeah. Yeah. That. Well, I'm, um, I'm skipping ahead here. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I did like this track. Um, And it was one that I didn't know. I, you know, I went into this knowing the New Order song. I went into this knowing the Uncle Bungo song from their albums. Um, but this one was was interesting to discover. Yeah, I a lot of pretty much the whole soundtrack up until you know the one wild thing cover that we get was was new to me. Mm-hmm. So this was definitely a, a fun listen, top to bottom. Yeah, but I I this again was kind of unexpected from Steve Jones, but mm-hmm. pretty good. Yeah, like, yeah, okay. and I this this like a lot of them, I think. I have a feeling a lot of these were recorded specifically for the film, 
because they a lot of them show up on like later studio albums in you know two or three years down the road mm-hmm. so i think i think they a lot of these originated here with something wild which is itself pretty cool yeah which again kind of surprises me then that the album didn't chart yeah because these songs were good enough to make it onto albums and um in some cases um as singles some of them um as we'll talk about existed prior to the album right but um not my slave the oingo boingo track was a single from Mm. boingo and so i'm just i'm surprised that those names didn't carry a little more weight yeah it's definitely curious like it makes me wonder about the actual like production history of the album yeah like the choices that went into it so always fascinating always fascinating i would love to know the answers too Yes. If anybody knows any of the people involved with this album, please hit us up at OST Party on Twitter. Yes, please. Um, so where are we going next? Yeah, well, to a motel, apparently. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Yeah, so uh, they drive to a garbage motel and get a room. And it's, at this point, we've learned that, you know, Charlie is is married. He's got money set aside for the Christmas club and she convinces him to use it on a room. And it's like, Charlie, you dumb motherfucker. Mm-hmm. dumb mm-hmm. sap and he seems to be like i don't know what's gonna happen like baby like oh i've got a wife and kids oh i gotta save that money dude you're not putting up much of a fight either are you yeah charlie you dingus God. um and this we hear uh senio Cosson, uh high life yeah so let's go to the clip. i love the way you smile never you are so nice i want to be your man thank you I'm not particularly knowledgeable about Afrobeat, but I really, really like this song. And this is the kind of song that makes you want to become more knowledgeable about it. It is, yeah. Because like wow. I can, I can art like listening to this song for this soundtrack, I can hear, you know, ten other artists that took this sound and ran with it. You know, mm-hmm. a couple of them on the soundtrack. You know, the David Byrne track, the UB40 track, have a little bit of this flavor to it. Yes. But also just listening to this, like, I think I finally understand Rusted Root. Oh, God. Because I, I hear this and I go, oh, okay. So th- this band of trust fund college kids tried to synthesize Sonny Okosan in a laboratory. And that's how you get Rusted Root. Oh, I don't know. Rude. That's that's hilarious and also horrible, but really hilarious. Because, yeah, it's it's I, yeah. I can hear this. Okay. Inf- I can hear this influencing yeah. other artists is all I'm saying. Yes, um, but I do appreciate that they didn't just lean on David Byrne, right? Right. Um, to provide that world music, uh, they really, you know, Jonathan Demi doesn't fuck around. No, he definitely ha- knows his stuff, and he's got definitely got connections to get mm-hmm. these artists, these these disparate artists, to kind of coalesce into one album. He knows his stuff. Yeah. And that this isn't the only one, so it's not like, oh, okay, we have this. Like, this is a theme that then runs throughout. Right. Which I, I dig. And, and, of course, having Sue Cruz right at the top establishes that. Yeah. And then continues the thread. So, um, yeah. I just want to point out that she's got a robot cassette tape purse, and I've never wanted anything, like, more in my life. 
It's great. Yeah. And it's even like a Transformers brand robot, too. I need it. <laughs> it's all sparkly. I have to have it. It's beautiful. Like, and because this is the 80s, like, there are tits. Of course. Like, her top just comes off. Um, She handcuffs him to the bed. And I, Ian and I watched this together. And I got to say, I love this woman. I love Lulu. Like, when she called his boss Mm -hmm. and, like, made him talk to his boss while he was getting blown, I was like, this woman (laughs) is iconic. She's iconic. It's too much, man. <laughs> I know. It was great. I was just like, she's crazy. I love her. Oh, I mean, that you, you, you understand why Charlie can't resist her, right? Yeah, kind of. Like, no shit. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. She's everything I want to be. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I want to be nuts. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting. And I didn't think anything of this. I noticed it. Uh, but I didn't think anything of it because when she he calls home to tell his wife that he's he's taking a trip to Pennsylvania. And I was like, you can hear the operator. Yeah, I noticed that. And I'm that. like, did she hang up on him? But we'll get to that. We'll get to yeah. that. Yeah. Or, or is he lying it to pays his, off. Or is he lying to her that he's talking to his wife? We'll find out later. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a little a little thing that pays off. Um, Fun little foreshadowing. Yeah. Yes. So then the next um, day, they go to this delightful little restaurant called Mom and Dad's Italian Restaurant. Dad speaking. <laughs> Dad speaking. And I guess I just got to stop here and say, like, and I noted this on Twitter the other day, like, I love the way they photograph road signs in this movie. Yes. Like, it's, it's, they find all of the weird ones or they make, they make weird ones and put them in the film. But, like, you can tell this is somebody who's gone on a lot of road trips. Oh, and yeah. appreciate a good, like local eatery with a weird sign i, I know i miss stuff. those um ian will take a lot of pictures of them if we see them um you don't see as many of them anymore and it's too bad because i really do genuinely love them mm-hmm. um but speaking of road trips i just want to give a shout out to my friend mike ingram he's got a, a road trip book called notes from the road that i'm reading now and he talks about like stopping a weird little local truck stops and things um so i highly recommend that book Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was reading it because there's parts where he drives through Oklahoma and I'm like, oh, I know where that is. Like, I know where the round barn is. I've been there. Like, so um, and we didn't even bring up that this is another one of our road trip movies. Yes, absolutely. Keep coming back to this. It's, it's been it's, a while. It has. And I, I also realized like this is a, this is kind of a threefer for us because like, yeah, we got Jonathan Demi back. We got Oingo Boingo back and we're back on a road trip. So yeah, this is like this is like the perfect movie for this podcast. It is. It's like where everything is coalesced. And also, like, I'm kind of crazy. I wouldn't say you're straight laced, but I'm definitely like the crazier one. So um, so we can just drive around and have a road trip and listen to New Order, I guess. Yeah, why not? Sounds like a blast. Sounds like a come with me to my high school reunion. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> no, you wouldn't want to. Although you can hang out with Mackenzie. <laughs> no. That'd be cool. I, I wouldn't invite you to mind because honestly i don't know any of those people yeah exactly so oh boy but anyway at mom and dad's restaurant uh lulu convinces charles to dine and dash well she says she's gonna pay the bill right and then she and... goes up goes to pay the bill and then just walks out and the the waiter has to come inform him that the lady said that he would pay the bill even though he yes. already told her he doesn't have any money mm-hmm so we get a, a dine and dash, mm-hmm. and they're chased out of the restaurant. They're, they're chased out of the restaurant by Charles Napier, 
who I, I guess is friends with Jonathan Demi because he also appeared in Married to the Mob in like a really tiny role. Mm-hmm. He's one of those character actors. It's, it's always fun to see him, but he's always just like the angriest dude in the room. And that's Duke Phillips, if I'm not mistaken. It, it is. It is Duke Phillips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a Duke catastrophe that was. Oh, totally. He's Duke Alicious. What can I say? <laughs> but uh, here, here's the next next song we get is um, it's not on the soundtrack, but it's Big Audio Dynamite's Medicine Show. Okay. And then we actually get uh, Wild Thing by the Trogs for real. Yes. Um, they ditch the car in front of a CD motel. <laughs> we get a wild John Waters sighting out of nowhere because yep, they have it... to purchase a brand new car. Mm-hmm. Because, they, yeah, they they wreck theirs. And Lulu says, don't worry, it's registered in his name. Right. Another little bit of foreshadowing. Yes. And I we forgot to mention that Lulu robs the liquor store. Oh, absolutely. How she has the money to buy this new car mm-hmm. from John Waters. But even then, the car is apparently not that uh, expensive because right there on the fr- the one side, it, it's painted bargain on the one mm-hmm. side. And then much later in the film, you see the other side of the car and there's just like a dozen bullet holes in it. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, but she, when he asks her about the money she says it's equal distribution of assets and we stand comrade lulu absolutely uh and this is where we pick up the hitchhikers and they yes. all drive down the road and they per- perform their own rendition of the trogs as wild thing yeah which is cute it's a, like nice, that- it's a nice little road trip scene um we had one in tommy boy where they're singing along with the radio um it's a kind we- of a, a standard we had one in Dumb and Dumber where they're singing mm-hmm. a song because there's no radio. Yep. So the, the sing-along, the car trip sing-along is a uh, wonderful trope that it's we a, do see. It's a, a must-have. Mm-hmm. And finally, they go and they visit Aunt, uh, Lulu's mother. Mm-hmm. Peaches. Peaches. This poor woman. <laughs> this poor woman who immediately knows what's, what's up because she looks at Charlie and just says, you got a wife at home, don't you? Yep. And we also <laughs> learn that Lulu's real name is Audrey. Yeah. And she tells her mom, he's just the kind of man you always thought I should marry. And they're going to have kids and he's painting the baby's room. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He says all the right things to her mom. And I think it's just a game to see if he is can think on his feet. That's all she's yeah. trying to do. <laughs> yep. And I'm... Um, she comes out, she now has she dyed her hair blonde or is she wearing a wig? <laughs> I feel like she was wearing a wig. I think so. Um it's too bad because I like her with the wig better. Kind of like do her too. with the bangs. Um very Louise Brooks. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um and while she's showering and getting ready though, he's looking through a photo album or a yearbook. Mm-hmm. And sees a couple articles clipped out about a liquor store gunman, a convenience store robber, rather. More, so more foreshadowing. Be? Yeah. Uh, but uh, we learned that she has brought him here so that she can attend her high school reunion, The Spirit of 76. It's her 10-year high school reunion. So, again, uh, Shades of Romeo and Michelle. Uh, going to your high school reunion, sort of pretending to be someone else. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, definitely reminded me of of how 
Uh, my high school reunion was organized on Facebook. I saw the invitation and said, I don't know any of these people. I'm not responding to it. <laughs> I don't understand the question and I won't respond. Exactly. Kind of same. Yeah. I, ours was at Michelle Mao's house and I was like, well, I don't, I don't know Michelle. Although we forgot to mention Gross Point Blank is also a high school reunion. Yes. Yes, definitely. Completely neglecting Gross Point Blank. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and about being someone that you're not. Right. Yeah. So it's a high school reunion movie. It's a road trip movie. These are trends that you and I keep coming back to on this. Yeah. Ro- road trip movies are all about uh, finding the real version of yourself. So, yeah. What's a good road trip without, you know, an assumed identity at some point? Of course. So, Travis and Bobhead. <laughs> I was going to say, even Beavis and Butthead for a, yep. a brief shining moment became noted terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but as as she's taking him to the reunion, is this where we get temptation? Yes. Um, as they're saying goodbye to her mom, we hear it very briefly in a passing car. We get um, temptation by our friends New Order, who we also heard uh, on the Married to the Mob soundtrack. So let's go to the clip. Ladies and gentlemen, I take you now to the the Libby Cudmore New Order hour already in progress. Yes. Um, So this song, even though we only get like a tiny clip of it, it's really fascinating when you go way down deep. Um, This version, which uh, tops out at three minutes, 30 seconds, only appears on this soundtrack. It is a different recording, but closest to sonically the seven-inch mix from 1972. Okay. Uh, this song was a single that came shortly after their 1981 album, Movement, which was their first album following uh, the death of Joy Division singer Ian Curtis. The rest mm. of the band reformed with Bernard Sumner as the lead singer. And this is about as close to a Joy Division love song as we're going to get. It's very discordant. Uh, right, like more of a love song than bizarre love triangle, even. Yes, but it's still it isn't as slick mm-hmm. as yeah. as bizarre love triangle as um, but it's it's not as slick as what we'll hear later on. They're still very much in that Joy Division sound. They're moving out of it, but they haven't quite gotten to what we think of when we think of New Order. Um, this one has a much more abbreviated intro, um, and is really heavy on the the synths, and it opens with the "You've Got Green Eyes" bridge, um, from the later versions. Yeah, it just kind of dives straight into it. Yeah. Yes. Um, a year after something wild in 1987, they remixed "Temptation" into what's kind of considered like the official version Mm -hmm. uh that's the version that got the music video and they remixed it for or rather re-recorded it for the singles collection substance okay and that's a much more uh like effervescent version it's longer it clocks in at seven minutes it's got this lush poppy upbeat and it's got a much longer musical intro before we get to the lyrics Mm mm-hmm 
Um, and it scraps that that intro that this version has with the you've got green eyes, you've got gray eyes. It goes right to uh the original the intro. Now it's interesting because I first heard this song on a soundtrack compilation CD, just one of those like sort of un I don't want to say unlicensed, but it wasn't from like a major record company. Um it was just a, co- a compilation of 80s soundtrack songs. Um and this one was credited to something wild, but it was the 1987 version. Oh, okay. So when I heard this, I was really taken back because I didn't know there were all these other versions. So I knew the 1982 version uh, that was the single. And I have that on a Joy Division uh, New Order singles collection mm-hmm. called Total. Um, but... It, it sort of took a while to figure out like where they all exist. There's also a 12 inch mix um, or apparently somewhere during the recording, the rest of the band put a snowball down Bernard Sumner's back and he yelps. And I realized, uh, yes, we've talked about new order with married to the mob, but we've also talked about Bernard Sumner um, going back to cool world. Yeah, that's right. We have electronic. Yeah. So this is this marks his third appearance on the podcast. Absolutely. Yes. Now, um, this song in the 1987 version also appears in Train Spotting, uh, which where is where it got really popular, um, and 24 Hour Party People. It also is credited in a considerable scene in The Big Rewind. Uh huh. It's one of Sid's favorite songs, and he talks about it um in the scene before they go to brunch. I'd also like to point out real quick that we also talked about Blue Monday on the Wedding Singer soundtrack. You're right. So this marks the fourth. Yeah. So way to go, New Order. <laughs> I know there. It's like Oingo Boingo and New Order are like neck and neck. It's like Oingo Boingo, New Order, David Bowie. <laughs> yeah. No problem with that. So good times. Absolutely. Yes. And now this song is immediately followed up by Ever Fallen in Love by the Fine Young Cannibals. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that's that's one I definitely could not find in the film, so I'm glad you spotted that one. So let's uh, go to a clip. Okay. I got to talk about this one. <laughs> okay. This is a Buzzcocks cover. Yes. And um, it's not very good. <laughs> one of the things that like, I, I, I noted when I was doing research for this song was that uh, Buzzcocks fans absolutely hate this song. It's really bad. Um, and I love Roland Giff's voice. It's very distinct. I'm um, very reedy. I love uh, She Drives Me Crazy. And it just doesn't fit here. Uh, the original uh, is so, it's got this, like, this great grinding, urgent delivery. And it really conveys the emotion of the song so much better. And this one feels so slick. It's so produced for MTV. You can almost see, like, those jagged neon riffs when you hear it. Like, it, it, it it's the sonic equivalent of a trapper keeper. 
Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all, but I yeah. I will I will admit that the music video for this song is is a lot of fun. Yeah. It's just it's 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 a, it's a terrible cover. It's kind of a yeah, it's kind of a gross song on its own, but uh just yeah, seeing seeing Roland Gift in the in the proje- projection booth showing something wild and monkeying with the footage and looping it back and forth. That's that's kind of fun. Yeah, and that this was this was kind of the song that that came out of this film. And it not only didn't chart, but it's apparently hated. Well, it didn't chart in the U.S., but apparently it charted in the U.K. and it charted higher than the Buzzcocks version, which is part of, part of why people hate it. That upsets me. I I apologize for bringing this to your attention. So, because the Buzzcocks version is great, I like mm. the Buzzcocks a lot. They're a band that I always sort of forget about, but then when I listen to them, I'm like, this band is great. I, I recently discovered the uh, the classic punk station on uh, Sirius Satellite Radio, so oh, I, yeah. I, I'm getting into the Buzzcocks now. Nice. So the the high school reunion. Yes. And the 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 band that's playing the high school reunion is is the Feelies, who we definitely encountered on the um, Married to the Mob soundtrack. Yep, they had the song "Too Far Gone." Yes, and they're here in the flesh performing uh, random covers during the reunion yes they perform their own songs they perform crazy rhythms and loveless love which are both from their debut yes. album um and they cover david bowie's fame and the monkeys i'm a believer let's go to a clip of i'm a believer because i fucking love this <laughs> I'm so mad this wasn't on the soundtrack, and I'm sure it has to. It's some sort of rights issue. Mm-hmm. It probably, yeah. Because I love this, and I I know I texted you uh, two weeks ago. I had a I had a really shitty day at work, and I knew it was going to be shitty because when I got in the car and turned on the radio, the Smash Mouth version of I'm a Believer um, was on. I was just yeah. like, I should just go crawl under my bed. And I, I remember asking, like, why is that the only version we hear these days? Yes, it's like, do, it's like are we? Are, did the, like something bad happen to the monkeys? Like, did they all come out? It's like, sorry, we're opening for Screwdriver. Like, what happened? <laughs> why is the Smash Mouth version the only version we hear anymore? Fucking, <laughs> fucking Shrek, man! I swear to God. <laughs> I swear, I was so mad. It just like it ruined, it ruined my whole day. <laughs> It fucked with my whole day, and now, like, I it ruined my day so badly that when I got my copy of uh, the Cherry Pop and Daddy's White Teeth, Black Thoughts, which is a fucking amazing album, I uh, it came with the CD. The vinyl came with the CD, right. and I put that in the car. And I have not taken it out. I'm like, <laughs> I'll listen to the fucking Babooch every morning for the rest of my life. Uh, just so that I don't have to run the risk of hearing Smash Mouth at eight o'clock in the morning anymore. <laughs> that's pro. That's a pro tip right there. Yes. Uh, can I bring it back around to uh, something wild for a hot second, though? Uh, I guess. Because there is a song from this album on the Shrek 2 soundtrack. Please kill me. Tell me what it is. It's Pete Yorn doing a cover of Ever Fallen in Love. I hate this! <laughs> God damn it. Oh, boy. 
That's a soundtrack that I I keep kind of threatening to make you do because there is a Tom Waits song on it. We already talked about it, though. I know, but the whole album as a whole is just like, it's begging to be made fun of. It does have that cover of Holding Out for a Hero that I really like. This is true. This is true. So who shows up at the um, at the high school reunion but one of Charles's office mates? <laughs> Yes. Oh no. Like the the worst person to have, to be seen to be seen with. Oh no, work somebody from work has found me out. Kill me now. Yep. Uh and just... And this and this Larry guy he, on the one hand he's kind of like, "Oh, I see what you're up to." But then he's also like super impressed with him. Yeah, he's really excited. He's VP. He's got a hot girlfriend. He's like it's still, you know, like, oh, you're you're doing well for yourself. Look at you. And he's panicked because he doesn't want word getting back to the office. And mm. Lulu is like, he's impressed with you. He doesn't care. Like, he wants to be you. Yeah. Because like he... we see his wife is pregnant and really dumpy looking. And yeah. Not and it's, a it's hot her, babe like Lulu. And it's her high school reunion. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Uh, we also meet Irene. Who's another saucy minx? Oh yeah, played played by Independence Day's Margaret Collin. Mm-hmm. Looking <laughs> who, fine. Yeah, I'm not too bad. Like who but, I've literally never seen in anything else. So when she showed up here, I was quite surprised. Oh, delightful. Um, she's trying to hit on Charlie. Yep. He's not having any of it. He's, he points to his ring and says, "I'm married." Mm-hmm. Then goes back over to Lulu, but Irene has brought her own date. Oh yes. And it's motherfucking Ray Liotta. Joe, I texted you this. You did. But I was not fully prepared for how hot Ray Liotta was. <laughs> like, I just wasn't prepared. He, he appears on screen, like, fully formed as the Ray Liotta we would come to know and love for the next 30 years. Yes. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't process it. I had to take a lap. I had to pause the film. <laughs> I was like, that's Ray Liotta? Holy shit. Like... I mean, because he's like, he's like, you know, a good looking man in, in Goodfellas and everything. But like, I was not prepared for like that level of hot as wasn't. Yeah. And, and this I is. Walk it off. <laughs> this is his first movie where apparently he was just some guy in uh, Melanie Griffith's acting class and she <laughs> recommended him to Jonathan Demi directly. Yeah. So. And it's one of those things where I'm always, I think about it. And Ray Liotta worked steadily. He did good films. He did bad films. He did the identical. Um, he's also he, in Muppets Most Wanted. He did two uh, Muppet movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he never quite, I feel like, got the stardom that he should have. Yeah. He's he, really good. He fell into the character actor role, I think, pretty early. Yes. And just too bad. And just rode that. Like, even early on, like in um, like Field of Dreams, like you you see him in that movie, and you're just like, yeah, that that he, that guy is gonna be he, he's not, he's not gonna be Kevin Costner, that's for sure. But he should have been. Yeah, because he's he was really really good. Mm-hmm. He was a he was just incredibly talented and so intense and such a marvelous screen presence. And you saw you saw kind of the same thing with Mickey Rourke. They both had that same trajectory. Where they were so magnetic on screen, but they just, I don't know if it was, again, that intensity, like they didn't have a certain softness to make you a leading man. Because they didn't have that generic action hero blandness. 
Right, yeah. But well, they weren't necessarily like romantic leads. Although, I don't know, nine and a half weeks with Ray Liotta? Like, think about it, won't you? Thank you. You know what? I could see it. Oh, In a so weird way, I. I could see it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, I remember reading something uh in preparing for this where they described him as like not being like movie star good looking i'm like i'm sorry are we looking at the same ray Liotta? because <laughs> i just watched something wild and <sighs> the man is intense he's god is he intense like, i'm beautiful I'm, i but also like i'm afraid for everyone else I'm on screen terrified when he says hi audrey i'm just like oh god oh shit's gonna happen shit's gonna go down like we're like uh they go they go uh go out for drinks after the, the reunion and, and Audrey and Irene go into the store and he, they leave him with uh, Charles. I was so worried for Charles. Cause like, what is Ray going to do to him? Yeah. But like, you kind of want to see it happen, but you yeah, don't know kinda. why, but you know, it's going to be, uh, you, you know, you're not going to be able to turn away. Yeah. You're like, I feel like I'm rooting for him, but I don't know why, <laughs> even though I know he's bad. Like I I'm compelled. I'm compelled by him. Um, it's why we watch shark week. <laughs> <laughs> it is just a bit like rooting for jaws it kind of is. but we also learn in this scene larry tells ray that charlie's wife took the kids and left mm-hmm. so, bombshell yeah and we've had this kind of idea like look at this cad because as much as we like charlie and we're excited that he's going on this road trip and, and he really gets on with lulu we're also like this dude left his wife and kids but that explains the phone call in the motel while he was talking to the operator because there was no wife to call exactly so, so then then you, you you get this impression of this guy who is just he's trying to keep up these appearances that that his light his perfect new york city business life is normal when it's everything but yeah and just like lulu is yeah. trying to keep up this appearance of being like this kooky fun girl when she might not be when when really she's just trying to run away from her her husband who is in prison for for robbery and like she's yeah. trying to get out of that and he's trying he's trying to stay she's trying to get out of her life and he's trying to stay in his life and that's not what either one of them needs yeah so that's the this is the crux of the film exactly like oh, that's that's clever yeah. writing everybody yeah this is a really good scene um and we actually get our next song coming up because um, they go out, they leave the reunion, mm-hmm. and Ray idles by and offers, like, hey, let's go out for drinks. He's got Irene with him. And we hear, Oingo Boingo's Not My Slave. Let's go to a clip. went back and tallied up all our episodes we'd probably find that oingo boingo was the most represented artist on this podcast yeah i can tell you right now because i i have our database up i made a database everybody look at you (laughs) uh this would be the fifth time we've talked about oingo boingo yes we've talked about Um, them we we mentioned their uh, dead man's party from back to school uh we outrageous from teen wolf 2 who do you want to oh, be God. from Teen Wolf 2? Two songs from Teen Wolf 2. Oh, uh, Flesh Christ, and Blood from uh, Ghostbusters 2. 
So yeah, Oingo Boingo is is well represented on this podcast. Yeah, we love, we love and we haven't even like talked about Danny Elfman as a composer. No. Oh, and and not to mention fucking Forbidden Zone. Yeah. So um, but we bring them back. Um, I've always really loved this song because it matches Danny Elfman's sort of operatic vocals mm-hmm. with the band's really driving sound. Yeah, it's got a it's. It's upbeat, but not in a way that I find kind of exhausting. Yeah. Um, it's very bright. It's got, um, this again, like this poppy. Yeah. This. Um, and really, like, rock-driven, which I really, really love. Um, I do think it's pretty intense to be, like, uh, you're my, like, you're mine, but you're not my sister. You're mine, but you're not my slave. Like, whoa, there's a big divide between those two things. <laughs> I mean, um, you, you know what that is, though. That's that may that makes this like Ray's theme song, kind, kind of. of. Um, <laughs> he's very possessive. He's very possessive. Um, so she kind of is his slave. Um, it's it shows us like a counterbalance between Ray and uh, Charlie. Yeah. The uh, post chorus absolutely sends me, especially when it switches. Uh, after the second verse to the pre-chorus and that's the like you're missing the whole point you're not my little pep right like i love that i absolutely love that and they play with that throughout um they use half of it before jumping into the chorus um and it's a call for equality in a relationship which Mm -hmm. is in the the sort of archetype of love songs is not something you hear very often right yeah um and they, I guess, liked this song so much that the next year it appeared on their album Boingo and was one of the singles. Mm-hmm. Um, as as with Temptation, the film version is a slightly different mix. It's not as different. No, but the guitars are kind of a little bit cleaner, and I think the mix yep. just pops a little better. I, I like it this does. version better. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a stronger mix. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, uh, but. Uh, and, and like we said, there's a perfectly appropriate song choice for this point in the film because it, it really is kind of like Ray's theme song. <laughs> um, uh, I want to point out that Ray is wearing a blazer that is like half tartan plaid, half leather. Yeah, I, I love this jacket. <laughs> I kind of love it. It's spectacular. Um, And they are... You know, he's trying to get Charlie to tell him, like, oh, what's what's she like in bed? Like, he's tr- he's really kind of probing him. And Charlie's like, be more respectful. Don't talk about my wife that way. Yeah. Um, which I, I appreciate. Thank you. He's, he's standing up for his lady. Yeah. Who he's known for 48 hours. Yeah. Um, respect. We also, uh, not on the soundtrack, but we get to hear... Um, Timbuk threes, the future's so bright, I gotta wear shades. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they peel out and leave Irene at the liquor store. <laughs> oh yeah, and that's that. That's one of the things we covered on Tommy Boy. Yeah, I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So very very early on. So poor Irene gets gets left in the lurch. As it turns out, remember the convenience store robber from the yearbook? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's that was Ray. Oh okay, yeah, <laughs> and he's gonna do it again. <laughs> Oh, yeah. He takes Charlie in and he points him to the camera and is like, hey, make a big speech. And Charlie is the biggest dumb idiot baby in the world. Yeah, like he doesn't see it, like obviously what's going on right behind him. Like, he and no also, idea. who would make a fucking speech in 
a store camera, like, in front of everybody. Like, what a fucking moron. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this guy must be drunk. Otherwise, like, why would you do this? He's so dumb. Such an idiot. So, just a sweet, dumb baby. Um, so, um, Ray shoots the clerk. He robs the place and basically kidnaps uh, Charlie and Lulu, who he's now calling Audrey at this point. We're right. just going to keep calling her Lulu for consistency's sake. But we've gone from a fun road trip reunion romantic comedy to a hostage situation. <laughs> yeah, now, now it's a chase thriller. <laughs> yes. We have made a weird tonal shift. Um, they, he takes them to a garbage motel. And oh, guess what? They were married. This isn't his old high school girlfriend. They were and are technically still married. Womp womp. Oh boy. And then the truth comes out about Charles and his his wife slash ex-wife and his the sort of state of his life. Yes, and Ray doesn't buy any of it. No. And it's just getting more and more crazy and more and more intense and more and more violent and threatening. Um to the to the point he, where like the the neighbors next door are banging on the wall to get him to shut up, and he kicks a hole through the wall. To be fair, uh huh, my cat could probably kick a hole through that wall. It looked very flimsy. It looks like it was made out of marshmallows. <laughs> um, look, Rayliot is a delicate flower, and he can't a kick a man. hole through a wall. But um, Ray eventually kicks Charlie out, and Charlie just drives off. Mm-hmm. A fucking cad. Yep. And at this point, Charlie decides to to tell them, follow them wherever they're going, tells them to a motel in Virginia, all the way from New York to Virginia. Mm-hmm. Well, they were in Pennsylvania. Okay, Pennsylvania. Right, right, right. But still. But still from Pennsylvania to Virginia, which is a drive that I have made a couple of times recently, and it's not fun. Ooh, I'll bet. Pennsylvania's rough. Yeah, it's just nothing. It's nothing but nothing but cows, as far as the eye can see. Christ Almighty! Yeah, but also you get a couple of you get some really fun uh, roadside restaurants and things like that because uh, he tails them to this western themed restaurant in Virginia, which I think is just wonderful. And I, I I assume that all of the menu items in this restaurant are named after different Western movies because Ray God, or- I hope so. because Ray orders the Rustler's Rhapsody, which is a wet we- the name of a Western. Oh, I want to go to this restaurant. <laughs> um, sounds but terrible. It's, but it's a very specific Western because it's a shitty '80s Western comedy that pretty much no one but me remembers. Which makes, it a, me. which makes it an oddly specific reference. And I tried to find out if there, anybody related to this movie was related to that movie. No, it's just a random reference for no reason. That's, that sounds like Jonathan Demi. That tracks. Kind of does. I mean, it's, it's, it's kitschy and weird. And yeah, why not? Yes. And Charlie rolls up into the restaurant. And Ray says, are you going to fight for her? And he's like, no, I'm just going to walk out of here. Because he has waited until some cops went in. Mm-hmm. And... So there's nothing, uh, nothing Ray can do. And he also pulls Lulu's trick about, oh, well, they said you would take care of the check. Yeah, yeah. And he's already given his wallet over to uh, Charlie and Lulu, his wallet and the keys to his caddy. Now, uh, the movie could have ended here. For me, absolutely. It honestly, like this, you know, they fooled him. The uh, trick with the bill came back into play, like, ha they fooled him, but it doesn't. 
and continues for about another 30 minutes. It, it doesn't work because Ray has also, in the meantime, seduced like a girl working at a local gift shop nearby and she shows up to bail him out. And that's creepy and weird all on its own. Yep. Because <laughs> that's just the kind of guy he is. Uh, he follows them back to New York City because Charles is taking her home. Mm-hmm. And I believe this is where we get uh, the Jimmy Cliff song on our soundtrack. Yes. So let's go to How can people be dying from hunger? How can they be dying for gasoline? Come here, my child, only for a moment. Your eyes are too young for the suffering they've seen. You don't have to cry. You don't have to cry. So yeah, this is called You Don't Have to Cry by Jimmy Cliff. And yeah, Jimmy Cliff is one of the, I, I guess, yeah, he's one of the iconic sort of reggae artists of the 80s. Yes. Like, very Huge. much so. There's a there's an optimism to this song that really, like, caught me off guard, and I really, I really enjoy this song. Yes, and also its placement right after uh, Not My Slave mm-hmm. on the soundtrack. There's yeah. a charm to that. And again, like, this real, this sense of, of love. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that carries through um it's prime positioning as far as relationship songs go it has like big new girlfriend mixtape energy it does yeah um lovely lyrically but reggae just does not land for me i don't i can't explain it that's a fault of me not anybody else certainly not the genre um we talked about that um a little bit with some of the ska stuff and the dance hall stuff on gross point blank. Mm-hmm. It's just not a genre that ever really grabs me. A little bit of it can go a long way. Yeah. I like think. I wouldn't skip over this song no. if I have this on vinyl, but I wouldn't, um, I, if I was buying it track by track on Amazon, I probably wouldn't grab this song. Right. I, I think a big part of that for, I guess, nowadays, it's just like the, the beats are kind of repetitive. And if you let it go on too long, you, you kind of you start to zone out. And that's no fault yeah. of the music. It's kind of just the way our brains are wired now to listen to music. Mm-hmm. But okay. I know this this is one that surprised me. And like, I actually really enjoyed. So Good. I'm going to give this one a leg up. Good. Um, I'm, yeah. I, I, I wanted to like it more than I did. There's the one uh, bit in the song that really hit me hard where he says i don't believe in helplessly hoping i don't believe in some promised land the life we lead is whatever we make it no one is coming to lead us by the hand and i i feel that so hard these days yeah that actually that hit and i was like i did not consent to this jimmy cliff there 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 is no one coming to save us we have to do this ourselves but you know what it's not all that bad you don't have to cry about it steely dan isn't coming for for you he's not coming (laughs) for any of us (laughs) Like, like, there's you, you could, you could read that as being kind of fatalist, but also I, I just, I don't know. That's it's kind of true. I mean, there's a certain element of you, you have to step up and make things happen. Yeah, it's, you can't it's, just rely on the universe to grant you something. Right. Like it's, and it's, it's a very like we're all in this together kind of a sentiment. Yeah. Like, like, like Charlie is not going to just get the girl and ha- right off into the sunset it's not gonna be that easy for him yeah it's gonna be a fight it's gonna be as we're about to see oh you better believe it because ray has the uh alumni program with everybody's address in it mm-hmm. he goes to lulu's and she's not there so he calls and gets charlie's address 
Yeah, and at this point, we get what I believe is the next song on our soundtrack. Uh, Jerry Harrison from The Talking Heads with his song Man with a Gun, even though Ray is definitely not a man with a gun, but a man with a knife. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's go to a clip. And when she caught my eye We were those for whom the rules Do not apply Pretty girl, young man, old man Man with a gun Two people in love The rules do not apply It's good to see two solo talking heads Yes, and especially because two years later We'll get uh, the Tom Tom Club On Married to the Mob Right. So we will have had all four talking heads. Um, uh, yeah, definitely. Jerry Harrison was also previously with the Modern Lovers. That's a name that I feel like we've encountered before. Jonathan Richman. Oh, right. That's, I forgot all about that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a really lovely, dreamy song. It's also like totally true. Like a pretty woman. Doors just open up for her. Oh, yeah. Um, this one, though, it's not particularly memorable. And I feel like this leans a little into the modern lovers side of Jerry Harrison because it goes on too long. It doesn't feel like a whole lot. Yeah, it's definitely like a, a slow jam, but not a very memorable one. Yeah, it just kind of keeps going. And you're like, OK. Yeah, right. it's got it's got like the same kind of theme to the David Byrne song, like the, the line to people in love. The rules don't apply, but uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, this one. No, not so great. It's okay. You need to be with the band. Yes, true. So Ray breaks in to Charlie's house, which we note is for sale and completely empty. And he's just like, he's full on crazy at this point. He's just out of his goddamn mind. He he is monster, monster stalker, serial killer. Yes. On the loose. Yes. Um, he handcuffs, uh, Charlie in the bathroom to the oh, pipe with the handcuffs that we saw from the beginning kind of like before yeah okay mm-hmm. I, jonathan demi is he does not let things go to waste i i genuinely did not put that together until just yes. now yes because he remarks on them and he pulls them out of lulu's purse and yeah that's right uh, so i love that again like all this stuff comes back into play um it's very economical yes and um Charlie manages to break free. I think the implication is that Ray is going to rape Lulu. Yeah, he's I on think top so. of her. It's very, it's a very intense and very kind of terrifying scene. Um, and Charlie strangles Ray with the handcuffs. And I was watching this and thinking, this guy was in Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> like I just, I can't put, I cannot make those two things work in my head. Um, if you if you asked me to put the guy from Dumb and Dumber up against the guy from Goodfellas and tell me who would win, I would pick the wrong one. Yeah, <laughs> it, we would all back the wrong horse there. Oh, um, <laughs> the, uh, the 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 guy who shits himself in Dumb and Dumber or the Lonely Heart Strangler? You be the judge. Yes, that's a callback to Turbulence, which we did on Christmas Creeps recently. Very nice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Ray Liotta loves playing characters like this because he does it so damn well. Yeah, he's so fucking terrifying, and I love him so much, and I miss him so much. Um, but the following weapons are used. Boot knife, golf club, they fight in the bathtub, and then Ray runs into his own knife. Mm-hmm. Which I think... <laughs> they do that so that Charlie isn't a stone-cold killer. Um, I don't love it. 
because I, I, because Charlie's passiveness has been a problem throughout this whole film. I mean, Charlie just goes along with Lulu. He just he goes along with everything she wants to do, and then passively kills a guy. And so there's not there's some evolution of character. Obviously, like he's a little stronger, uh, but this still plays to that passivity. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it either it it should have been Charlie steps up and actively kills Ray, or it should have been Lulu to do it. Yeah. And it, I think that kind of takes Lulu's moment from her. I mean, mm-hmm. this ends up, it starts off as kind of Lulu's movie because she's so delightful. Um, but it kind of ends as Charlie's, um, which I get, I guess. Because um, it, it, it's got that 80s problem where like the the lonely, sad white guy winds up getting everything he wanted by doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. Including just standing there holding a knife. Um but Ray's last words are shit, Charlie. <laughs> um, and then uh, he goes and he goes to the bathroom mirror, clutching his gut, and he runs his hands through his hair, and there's like this streak of blood. And it's such an affecting image. It, it's really deeply yeah. upsetting, it's... but beautiful. There, like, there's that that moment, like he checks his hair. He's like, "Damn, I look good," and he's like smearing blood all over his face. Damn, I'm Ray Liotta. Yeah, <laughs> they tell me I'm Ray Liotta. It's 1986 and I'm Ray fucking Leota. The world is my oyster. That's right. Uh, <laughs> um, but he dies. Uh, Lulu admits like that was my husband. The cops take Lulu away. And we see Charlie going back to his sad New York life. Although he's not going to be a VP anymore. He is not about that life. Nope. He decides to leave it all and goes and hunts almost said hunts down but that's really not the appropriate uh uh verb there he goes and goes to find lulu yes and it doesn't have any luck no uh and, and as he's searching for her uh we get the next no we, we already got the jimmy cliff song but they play it again here mm-hmm. yeah um he returns to the diner where he first met lulu and we see sister carol uh who we you remember from uh married to the mob she was rita Oh, who ran yeah. Hello Gorgeous. Yep. Um, and uh, there's a little bit, again, a meet cute. Um, uh, Lulu has returned and they drive off in her Woody station wagon. Mm-hmm. She's gone back to being the suburban bland lady, which is really kind of a downer ending. <laughs> a little bit, but also this something in me just kind of says like, she definitely stole that Woody, didn't she? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I really hope so. And um, uh so over the in- as the end credits begin to roll, Sister Carol is still standing there on screen on camera and she sings uh Wild Thing directly to us as the credits roll. Yes, and her version, you know, goes in a lot of different places. She goes all in. I love her. She really shows how to make a cover your own. Yeah, let's go ahead and play a clip of that. Yes. Join in the ring. It could be queen or it could be king. You go your way and I'll go mine. As long as you just make it fine. The brain will shine some drinking wine. Some evil dress like Frankenstein. Move up your waist, your body line. But just you do it right on time. No wild thing. Now, I, I just want to say... I am not a fan of the song Wild Thing already. No, it's really dumb. It's a stupid song. So I am all for anyone trying to rewrite it and make it their own. Yes, and, and I, this God one works, bless Sister Carol. It this works is so it. much better. This one is it. 
this should be the standard version. Yep. Absolutely. Not the uh the road trip karaoke version we heard earlier, not the original that we heard earlier. This is the one. This is it. We've made a declaration here on the OST yes. party. And and finally so finally we 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 get to no, I can't say that. Never mind. I was going to say we get to an o- under the covers, but we already did that kind of. Yes. Oh well. So that's something wild. As the end credits finish rolling, we get the last song on our soundtrack, which is UB40's 007 Charlie. Let's go to a clip. A UB40 song with no lyrics is a UB40 song I can get behind. I'm not a fan of UB40. I'm um, not either. And I I don't know why. Like, I feel, like, aggressively disinterested in them. And I can't explain it. I, I feel like all, there, all of, all no of their... All of, it's, they're one of those bands where, like, all of their popular songs are cover songs. So why would you listen to UB40's version? I guess. Um, I mean, I like this one. It has no lyrics. It's got, like, kind of a cool synthy sound. Um, I do think that this British reggae scene is really fascinating mm-hmm. this is a very specific niche time and um we touched on that on gross point blank yeah but i really don't know what else to say about this because it doesn't really have any lyrics we can talk about well i mean we can talk about i guess the scene for a little bit because i feel like in the the eight, late 70s and into the 80s like every every band tried to have their reggae song and yeah. UB, UB 40 is kind of they just that's what they do period but like yeah you know, Blondie had a reggae song. Led Zeppelin had a reggae song. Like, just what was happening that made everyone go reggae crazy all of a um, sudden? I don't know. Um, I mean, everybody was suddenly into Bob Marley. Like, even friggin' Eric Clapton, who I'm surprised isn't on the soundtrack. Please don't threaten me. <laughs> I know that's. I know I, that I chose violence by saying that. But. So... He probably thought, oh, no, there are black artists on this. I can't be part of this. Oh, it's wow. true. Yeah, it's true. So I'm um, <laughs> yeah, I just I, like I said, it's a it's a fascinating point in in history, mm-hmm. in music history, and especially like when we saw it over in the UK. Um, I don't have an answer. Yeah, it's just it's a phenomenon that like you can notice, but like. <laughs> contextually i have no idea yeah um so if you know again please find us on twitter at ost party yes please and thank you wow but that's uh yeah that's something wild uh, what do you think of the soundtrack as a whole i think it missed some opportunities i think at 10 tracks it's a little short i think they should have included at least one feely song i mm-hmm. um, i would have bounced out uh ub40 honestly um, i yeah, agree but I think I think it's a really solid soundtrack. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it covers a wide range, uh, which gives it, again, like a very authentic, artistic, um, really fresh feel, mm-hmm. like Lulu herself. It, it really hangs together better than I would, ex- would expect a, an album like this, too. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of the, the world beats and a lot of the reggae and uh, that kind of thing, it, it, it helps keep everything feel of a piece mm-hmm. especially when like it's they're, they're doing so much to try and make these songs 
connect to like either Lulu or Ray or Charles at any point in the movie. And yeah, I, I, I think they succeed, but you're right. I think they could have added more. Yeah. I just, with 49 songs in the movie and you only pick 10, I think there's a little bit of wasted space there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and that, that speaks very well to the film is that we want more from it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, that's, that's really my only complaint. Also, I don't, feel like they they were used enough in the movie like i would have rather stripped out some songs and had a little bit more um in that sort of again that music video feel um to hear a few more songs on the radio like we get in your classic road trip film yeah definitely like and there should have been a couple more scenes of like road tripping going on in the film like because we get to Mm -hmm. from place to place very quickly and they're not concerned with the the traveling aspect of it, which I understand, but that's Gas where was 69 cents a gallon. I know drive for miles. Tell me about it. But like, that's where like a good road trip soundtrack would shine. And I think you're right. They kind of shot themselves in the foot by not including any of that, mm-hmm. but I, I can't, I can't say that's a knock against the film. Really? No, no, not at all. I, I enjoyed this immensely. I'll say I did that. too. I'm- I'm really glad we got to it. I think it's been one that's been hovering around the edges. Um, as I said, I see it a lot in record stores. Um, of course, now that I, I want a copy, I haven't been able to find it. But um, Same, yeah. I, it'll, it'll pop up. So um, I'm, I'm glad that we, we had an occasion to do it, although I'm sorry that, um, that we had to do it in memoriam. Yeah, it's always hard when we have to say goodbye to an actor as as big as Ray Liotta but uh I'm glad we had this opportunity at least to talk about uh, one of amazing one of many amazing performances he's given yes indeed so Joe what are we doing next time on the podcast uh well next time on the podcast we are rounding out the summer in style because we're hitting that holiday road with National Lampoon's vacation oh yeah one more another road trip one once more unto the breach (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. Well, with gas being as expensive as it is, many of us can't uh, hit the open road as we like to do in the summer. So we can we can hit the open road through film. We have to settle for seeing the Grand Canyon in a movie, and that's fine. Yeah, that's okay. It's not it's not that impressive. It's just a big hole in the ground. <laughs> uh, so until then, uh, Libby, where can our listeners find you on the internet? You, you can find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on instagram at record underscore saturday joe where can they find you they can find me on twitter and instagram at cordial wombat or you can hear me yell about christmas movies all year round on the christmas creeps podcast at christmas creeps and if there's anything at all you'd like to send us you can uh, follow us on twitter at ost party or email us anything at all at ost party pod at gmail.com uh, finally, uh, we don't say this enough, but please, if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Like, send people the link. The podcast links are everywhere. We love doing the show, and we and we want to we want to build this community as much as we possibly can. Yes, tell a friend, and have your friend tell a friend. Absolutely, every little bit helps. Huh. So for the OST party, I'm Joseph Wade, and I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. Why?